0: Bible reading this morning is from Exodus, chapter 24. It's absolutely, I'm really looking forward to Charlie's message, and it talks about um, the people actually seeing God. So from verse 1, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near. And the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone. ...with the law and the commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aid... ...and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you... ...and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it... ...and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain... And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights.
1: Thank you so much for that. Yes, it's a very interesting passage that we're going to look at uh, this morning, and just that. piece where these people actually see God and uh, what does that mean when we're told in other places of scripture that no one can see God and live so uh, we certainly have something to deal with there obviously there's a lot in this passage and uh, so we're not going to cover everything in fact we're not going to cover anything in detail because there is just so much here so I hope that what we look at this morning will be encouraging for you I hope it'll move you closer to God I hope that uh, you'll see that there's a purpose and a reason for what it, what is actually Said in 24. So obviously we're continuing, and and uh, in the three prior chapters to this, uh, can I just have my powerpoints up, please? Thank you. In the three prior chapters to this, uh, we see that the law of God has been covered, has been spoken out, has been explained, those types of things, and uh, God provided that to His people, and and as He presents this to them he calls them to remember all that he's done how he saved them out of Egypt and, and this was a reminder that they were dependent upon him without his intervention they were totally lost they were without be, being able to save themselves they were hopeless and so if God hadn't stepped into that situation they would still be in a terrible place and not able to come out and honor and glorify him they would have been able to do nothing they had no hope on their own And God is reminding him that he redeemed them. He saved them out of Egypt. He brought them to this place where they could honor and glorify him. They owed him their lives. And they should be obedient to him for the work that he has done. He is their God. They are his people. He has formed a covenant with them. A covenant is this sacred relationship established by God in which his people belong to him and he belongs to them. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, we thank you for the power of your word. It is incredible, Lord. It comes alive to us. And that's what we pray this morning. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear what you're saying through this chapter of scripture. Be present here, Lord. Challenge us. Challenge me. Draw us to your side, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Moses goes up the mountain. Then he comes back down. And the first thing that he... Helps if you turn it on. The first thing that they're called to do is to actually agree to the covenant that has actually been given. For any covenant to be established, it has to be agreed upon by both parties. And as we begin this chapter, we get it recorded that Moses came down and told the people all of the words the Lord had said and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice, all the words the Lord has spoken, we will do. And there's been much happened prior to the people gathering is recorded in this chapter Moses has been up the mountain again as indicated in verses 1 and 2 then after receiving some instruction he comes back down and he tells the people this and this is what God has told him to do he told the people all the words and rules that God had given him And most commentators agree that the words spoken about here in this verse are the Ten Commandments. So the words are the Ten Commandments. But the rules, they're actually speaking about, well not speaking about the commandments as such, but they're speaking about all the regulations that also went with what God had said uh, up on the mountain. And they're expressed back in Exodus 21.1. Now these are all the rules that you shall Um, set before them so this was the daily outworking of what they were supposed to be doing everyday situations for the Israelites they dealt with matters like slavery how they should be treated or how slaves should be treated sorry personal injury loss of property social justice issues that was what was covered in verse 21 uh, chapter 21 and that's what this is talking about uh, when it speaks about the rules but that doesn't eliminate the commandments as I said that's what the words were in the previous section Moses read all these things and all the people responded enthusiastically all the words the Lord has spoken we will do they're making this commitment covenant and Moses was checking with the people that they understood what it was they were committing to they understood what it was God was calling to them before he actually formalized the covenant and so after checking with them and getting that verbal affirmation it's time to confirm the covenant And as we move into what is recorded next, it's really the account of a worship service. It could well be the first of its kind. It's certainly the first that is actually recorded in Scripture. And there's a call to gather and worship God. There's the reading of God's word. There's a confession of faith by the people. There's a sharing of a holy meal. There's a sacrifice which included prayers. That was what occurred on the mountain. And these people are now gathering, having agreed to all what has been said. And in ancient times, when a covenant was formed, it was then written down. And that's what Moses has done. Both parties agreed to what has been set out. Then it was written down, agreed to again. And the document then became the authority upon what was agreed. So if there's ever any question, they would go back to that document and both parties would check. And that's what occurs in this case. Moses wrote down... Hello, Houston. Okay, we'll go back. I'll do it. Thank you. That's not it. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. We should be one further back. That's the one. So Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He built 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And this, for me, shows how God's word was preserved. When God said something important, When there was covenants, when there was rules, when there was agreements, it was written down. That was what had to happen in that day and age. So here, Moses wrote down everything that is now contained in Exodus 19 to 23. There's also, obviously, the the, um, oral tradition, but these things were actually written down. And this could well be the first draft of those chapters of Scripture. This could well be Moses' hand himself as we have it in Scripture. And we have these words because it was actually written down. Moses 24 5 sorry Exodus 24 5 to 8 and he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins half of the blood he threw against the altar and he took the book of the covenant this is the laws that were actually given and read it in the hearing of the people and they said all the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of his words. Moses read what is now called the Book of the Covenant. Everything the people have agreed to has been written down. And Moses reads it again. They have to agree to it. They have to say, yes, that's what we've agreed to. And we see this type of thing happening in marriage ceremonies. Who's been to a marriage ceremony? Oh, only half a dozen. I think we've all been to a marriage ceremony, haven't we? And and, you know, the bride and the groom stand up there, they come together, and there's what is called a declaration of intent. Praise God that for us as Baptists at the moment, it is law that is a guy and a girl, and they come forward, and they have a declaration of intent. Do you intend to marry this guy? Do you intend to marry this woman? Are you going to have each other? And they say, yep. Are they married? No. No they're just stating what they're going to do so we've had orally these people say yes we've heard all that God has said we've heard what he's going to do we agree and then we come to this next phase and the bride and the groom then give their vows and they declare that they will be with each other in sickness and health for better or worse and then that time comes when they say I now pronounce you husband and wife they've made their vows they've made their declarations And that's exactly what is occurring here. They're only married when that happens. Moses has spoken everything that God has said. And he asks if they agree. And and for that agreement to be binding, it had to be written down. It had to be checked. And then they had to agree to it again. And there's also a need for the people to hear God's word more than once. Do you agree with that? We so easily forget what is put before us. And of course, the Israelites never forget what they've committed to here, do they? He's teaching and commands when they need to hear His Word regularly. They need to hear it over and over again and we're much the same. This covenant has been confirmed in the context of a worship service. God's Word is central to that worship and it should be no different today. When we gather to worship, the reading and hearing of God's Word must be central. We need to hear it every time we meet. And when God's word is read and received by the listeners, there's a call for response. That's what the Israelites were called to do too. They were called to commit with what was actually being said. They were called to obey the laws that were given. God's word is never inactive. It calls for response. His word is a constant and continual call to a life more and more committed to him. I love the idea that every time we meet Christian and non-Christian alike should be moved one step closer to God. That should be our purpose. Our lives should be more and more committed to him. It's true for the Israelites then, it's true for us today. Each and every time we meet, our desire should be to move closer to God. And Moses read all of the words again, and the people responded, they all said, all oh, the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we'll hear how they go with that over the next few weeks. And once the people have said this, Moses moves to seal the covenant. On this day it's sealed, but think about how quickly this has happened. The day before, yesterday if you like, Moses declared all the words that God had spoken orally and then those guys agreed to it and then without delay, Moses writes them down he builds 12 pillars he builds an altar in accordance with the specifications given in Exodus twenty, twenty-four, twenty-six. 26 he makes sacrifices he gathers the people again he reads out what he's written and they agree to it. it is something that happened very very promptly there's no delay and it should be the same for us today if Jesus is calling you today the call is to make that commitment today there shouldn't be a delay. Today is the day you're called to obedience if you haven't been baptized. As we look through scripture, particularly in Acts, Jesus says you believe you get baptized. That's the format that is followed. All those believers in Acts, they believed they were baptized. If you haven't been baptized, please think about that. We have a baptismal service in a couple of weeks. Baptism is a public declaration of your faith. Baptism does not give you salvation, but it is obedience to God. It is doing what he's called us to do. Please think about it. Do not delay being obedient to our God. And then Moses offers these sacrifices. The sacrifices being made were firstly a burnt offering. And this is an offering that is totally consumed by fire. None of it is left. It is totally gone. And this is for the atonement, the forgiveness of sin. That's what this first offering is about. And then there's this second offering. This second offering is a fellowship or peace offering and the blood of this offering is gathered and it's not totally consumed by fire. This is the offering that is roasted and then it is consumed by the people and the blood is gathered and collected. And so here we have this blood. There's no clear expe- explanation for what Moses does with this but there's references for the ritual all throughout Scripture so it's understood in the context of the rest of Scripture. And what is clear is that the blood signifies the seriousness of this covenant. When we think of blood, we have to think about life and death. There's no choice. Something died in order for the blood to be present there. And so this covenant, the obedience to it, is literally a matter of life and death. And in biblical times, both... For the Israelites and for others, the blood signified what would happen to either party if they reneged on the agreement, the covenant that was given. We're not only talking biblical covenants, but covenants of property and law as well. If someone reneged, they were at risk of death. That's the way it stood. And that's what this symbolises. Moses has the blood, half of it gathered in a bowl, half of it poured out or sprinkled upon the altar. And the blood sprinkled on the altar didn't just speak of the life and death consequences, but it also spoke of God's mercy. God was not just showing what would happen to people if they failed. He was also showing that the sprinkling of the blood on the altar signified the forgiveness of sin. God has accepted the sacrifice as payment for sin, for Israel's sin. And the offering of blood becomes that price that was paid, which turned away God's wrath. The judgment the Israelites should have received is removed the blood atones for that and we see all through the Old Testament that God's relationship with his people is maintained through sacrifice and then the blood is sprinkled on the people we should do that every Sunday hey the blood and the benefits that come with it are sprinkled upon the people the blood and the benefits this covenant was made At the initiative of God it was something that God put in place he was the instigator of it it's the Israel's Israelites responsibility to accept what God has done and to live the life and the terms of the covenant that God has laid out for them and only after the blood was sprinkled on the altar could it be sprinkled on the people the blood is offered first and foremost to God as an atonement for sin then after this and the confession and commitment of the people to do all that God has told them is the blood sprinkled upon them And I hope I can explain this in a manner you'd understand. God establishes a relationship with his people through people Israel through the offering of blood. Their responsibility is to be obedient to all God has told them to. But he knows they won't be able to do that. And so the same blood that brings peace with God will be the blood that maintains that peace. When they stumble and fall. When they slip up and fail to obey, the blood is available. It will maintain peace with God for each and every person who messes up, for each and every person who desires, whose hearts are committed to God. God's love, God's grace, God's glory revealed. It's all He has done, all of it. And then in the midst of this, God is revealed. Number three, sorry, folks. What we see here is one of the most surprising passages of Scripture. We're told later in Exodus 33 20, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. But in the passages that we are looking at, we're told these guys saw God twice. And there's a desire for many to try and fix this passage of scripture there's an apparent contradiction here and so they actually change what this scripture is saying and uh, it's interesting when you look at some translation I pulled out the one on the Apostolic Bible so if you can remember what's actually said here or have it before you in your Bibles this is what the Apostolic Bible says and they saw the place where stood the God of Israel and the things under his feet were as work a brick of sapphire and as the former of firmament of the heaven in the cleanliness And of the chosen ones of Israel, none dissented, not one. And they appeared in the place of God and ate and drank. If that was all you saw, it seems okay, hey. But they're trying to eliminate the fact that these people saw God. They're just saying they saw the place where God was. They didn't actually see God. But that's not what scripture says. So we've got a bit of a conflict here. And they're quite different interpretations here. One's very inaccurate. And uh, the other one is accurate. I don't know why people have issue with what is written in this passage of Scripture. It's pretty straightforward as far as I'm concerned. The text is perfectly clear. They saw God, they looked at him, they beheld him. And when when we read they beheld him here, it's a very, very strong term. It's like they gazed upon him. It wasn't just a brief look. They actually looked upon God. And God knows there is an issue here. And I believe that is why we are told that God did not raise his hand against them. We know that scripture says God will strike them down. And and it's recorded here, God didn't raise his hand against them. He didn't kill them. This visual encounter with God certainly means these guys were at risk of certain death. But the Bible says they didn't die. God didn't raise his hand against him. But what did they see? There is no vision or description of God at all. Nothing. They only mention the things that are surrounding God. And particularly they mention the things that are under his feet. And when we read that, it's like they're even at a loss to describe how magnificent that is, how incredible that is. Why don't they say more? Why don't they talk about what they saw Think about the times that's recorded in Scripture when people have come face to face with a holy God. Think about John on the Isle of Patmos when he sees his friend, his mentor, his Lord Jesus. This is John who dearly loved Christ. And his response was to go flat on his face. He couldn't look upon him. You know, for me, it makes sense that John would run to him and go, Jesus, it's so good to see you but that's not what happened when he saw Christ glorified and perhaps for these guys because of what's recorded before us perhaps in the presence of an almighty or powerful god they realized their own sinfulness they realized that even the stuff they thought was good they realized that even though there is stuff that they think is good in the presence of an almighty or glorified god they've got nothing and they fell flat on their faces they saw what was under his feet. It makes sense to me. I'm quite comfortable with that. And although the potential was there for them to look upon God, it was themselves that stopped themselves from seeing because they realised how poor they were in spirit and they couldn't look on the face of this incredible God. They could only bow before him. And we think about Revelation, come that day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, believer and non-believer alike. I used to think they were going to walk through the pearly gates and there were angels standing there with baseball bats to lob everyone behind the knees, so they went down. That is not what is going to happen. They're going to be in the presence of an almighty, all-powerful, all-glorified God, and they will not be able to stand. They will bow before him. They saw God. It's more than they ever wanted or ever imagined. But they didn't stand, not in my opinion. But then they ate and drank. This was a meal of covenant fellowship it was common practice for those who formed covenants to sit down and have a meal together to prove that there was no animosity between them that the covenant was actually established they broke bread which is symbolic of acting in fellowship towards each other and this is the meal the leaders of israel had together in god's presence and it showed that they had true fellowship with god when we think about what's happened with the israelites on mount sinai we see how we are to have a right relationship with God. The Israelites were standing in the presence of an almighty, righteous, holy God. So do we. He calls us to worship him. It's not just on Sunday, it's every day of our lives. Our lives would be the lives that are lived for him, honouring him, glorifying him, revealing him in our conduct. The Israelites were called to agree to be obedient to all God has told them under the pain of death. He's called us to the same. It hasn't changed. We are called to obedience in God. We have the same consequences if we disobey. And for both the Israelites and for us, salvation is found in the blood. His old... In this chapter of the Old Testament, we see the blood brought people into relationship with God and blood maintained that relationship. It's also an indication of what Jesus would do. Boy, am I having fun with this. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. It was something that Jesus had done, but it was his blood. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We have been called into relationship with God. We have that first step where we recognise that we need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And that's our justification. But now we're called to sanctification. Is that daily setting apart, that choice to walk with Jesus, to give him all of us to use for his glory and purposes. The chapter that we've looked at this morning could easily be interpreted as the first worship service recorded in Scripture. I hope you agree with me now. There was the reading of God's Word. There was the confession of faith. There was a commitment to obedience. And there was the sharing of a holy meal. Does that sound familiar? We gather here on Sundays. We have a call to worship. We sing songs. We're here because we have confessed faith. There were sacrifices made in the days of Israel. There were prayers that went with that, sacrifices. We pray here as well. And guys, I've got to tell you, if you weren't at the prayer meeting yesterday, man, did you miss out. Far out. I think it's one of the best prayer meetings I've ever been to. It was incredible. Holy Spirit came in a powerful way and people didn't want to leave. Let's be gathered together to pray. We need to be seeking God's face. We need to be seeking his will for us. We come together. We pray on Sunday. We speak God's word. We hear God's word. God's word is read. That is part of it as well. And we celebrate communion once a month. But what is your purpose and reasoning in coming to church? Why are you here on Sunday? You know what? It shouldn't be about the people around you. It shouldn't be about gathering with them. We should gather together with the saints. That's true. True. So as far as corporate worship, that's what it should be. We should gather with the saints. But whether the people beside you, what they're doing, that should have no bearing on you. You should come with a view to see God. The Israelites saw God. How incredible was that? I remember when I was a very young Christian, I prayed one night beside my bed. And I prayed that God, that Jesus would reveal himself to, to me. And I must have stayed there for like half an hour to an hour afraid to look up because I thought if he's there whoa praise God he wasn't there (laughs) I was I was almost thankful but do you come wanting to see God do you come wanting to encounter him do you come wanting to learn from him I know some of you people got terrible things going on in your life I know some of you people are suffering some of you people have health issues some of you people have financial issues some of you people that just would just want to be loved But we need to come and we need to give those things to Jesus. We need to choose joy. And yes, that's a lovely Christian cliche, isn't it? And I don't mind you coming up and punching me in the face for that later. Because it's so hard to have someone say, in the midst of your struggles, be joyful. What a terrible thing to say. But each and every one of us can speak about what Christ has done in our lives. We can reflect even in the most difficult times of what Jesus has done. And in choosing joy, we're choosing to say, yes, even in the midst of my struggles, Jesus is there. And I'm going to focus on the good. I'm going to focus on what Christ has done. I'm going to focus on how faithful he has been to me. And I'm not going to let my current troubles take me away from Jesus. He will never leave us or forsake us. We will. We walk away, but he will never leave us or forsake us. And when we come to that realisation where we look for Jesus, we find he's been there the whole time. We've just been ignoring him. We need to come with an expectation of seeing God. We come... And we sing. Ephesians tell us we should sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with our heart. One of the ladies praying with us yesterday just started singing in the middle of the prayer. I didn't know the song. Praise God, I wasn't on my own. I found someone, Mary Claire, thank you very much, who didn't know the song either. Totally irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. We were lifted from that place because of this person singing. It was an incredibly powerful time. And when we gather, shouldn't God's love burst forth from us? Shouldn't our praise for him burst forth from us? Shouldn't we lift the rafters of this roof each and every week? You know what? Some of us, well actually all of us, have got beautiful singing voices. Do you agree? There's a few people not putting their hand up because of the person beside them. We've all got beautiful singing voices because God gave us those voices. He wants to hear us. God doesn't want us to stay quiet so we can hear the person beside you. He wants to hear you. He wants to hear you singing. So if you're like me, you've got a beautiful singing voice and a rough passage out, that's okay. God wants to hear your voice. We need to raise our voice to him and sing to him. We come and all scripture. Man, what's going on here? I've missed one. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We need to hear the whole word of God. Not just the bits we like. You know, if you're going to go through your Bible and tear out pages because it's saying things that you don't want, to say, don't want to hear, that's a problem. We need to hear the whole word of God. But guys, I'm seeing more and more as we speak to people, as we encourage people, as we're praying together, as we're starting to make things happen, God is doing incredible work. I'm really excited for what God is doing. And there's so many ministries that are really working for God and we're seeing great things as a result. And we've got to press into that. We've got to start telling good news stories about what God is doing in those ministries, about what God is doing in our lives. We've got to share Him and His Word. We've got to take His Word on board and allow it to change us. And then 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I don't know what you think when you come to our times of communion, but we're remembering we're here because of that, what that table represents. We're here because Jesus died for us. It was his blood. And we've got to get back to the basics of Scripture. We've got to get the main get back to the main thing make the main thing the main thing it's not about me it's not about any other leaders it's not about any other person in this church it's about jesus and that's what we've got to get back to we've got to focus on him let's just pray father god i thank you for your presence i thank you for your love A love beyond reason. A love that sent a perfect man to the cross. Your son. And Lord, we can't even hope to comprehend the motivation behind that, how you would see us as worth that. It makes no sense. And Lord, we want to ask for your forgiveness for forgetting that, for allowing other things to crowd in and take the rightful place of you. And Lord, we want to take this time now to submit to you afresh. To renew our covenant with you. To repent of those things that we have done which have not honoured and glorified your name. Lord, we want to be a people who focus fully upon you. Who let everything else fall to the side. Father, you've called us to take up our cross and follow you. And Lord, once that cross is on someone's back, they have no right of recourse. There is only one place they can go. They can't go to the left or the right. They have nothing left of their own. All their possessions are gone. Give us that attitude when it comes to serving you, Lord. Let us realize it's you and you only. In Jesus' name, amen.